Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. We visit with the owner of a mortuary in a rural northern California town. Our guest is George Linen, the owner of Empire Mortuary in Ukiah, California, since 2000. As professionals describe their work and philosophy, George Linen joins us in this edition of Radio Curious to share his thoughts and experiences. We discuss the funeral industry, trade associations, business practices in some sectors of the industry, and how our guest's philosophy has evolved. In this program, recorded in the studios of Radio Curious on September 21st, 2013, we began our visit with George Linen by discussing embalming, what it is and why it's done. Well, embalming is a process, uh, it's somewhat of a post-death surgery where uh, it's invasive into the person's body. Embalming chemicals are injected into the person. After all the blood is taken out. Well, it actually, it's a simultaneous process. The, the blood is going to be moved out of the body and drained out of the body during the injection of the uh, embalming chemicals. Why is that done? It's typically done for sanitation, for cosmetic reasons, if the person is going to be seen in a casket or at home for a period of time before their disposition, whether that be burial or cremation, uh, then embalming is typically done. And it's also needed to be done if you're going to send a body from one state to another, uh, say on an airline or from one state to a, another foreign country it's required to be done. And that's federal or international law? Uh, it's a little bit of law and quite a bit more uh, airline policy. How about if it's just driven across the state line? There's usually no requirement for embalming. You say it's done for sanitation. What are the sanitation issues? It's more historical as far as the his the sanitation issues it was required to be done almost in every case up until the early 1980s. It was just automatically done. No one needed to give permission for it to be done. And it was basically started in the mid-1800s, right around the Civil War time, mostly for preservation and sanitation to prevent the spread of disease so that... Uh, the soldiers could be gotten home for their funerals to, to their families for funerals and so forth that had been uh, died in the war back then. So when you say it was automatically done until the 1980s, is that primarily in California? It, it was really nationwide in, in the United States. The Federal Trade Commission uh, back in the 70s began a study and ultimately came up with what's called the Federal Trade Commission funeral rule in the early 1980s that really regulated funeral homes across the country as to how they conducted business with a grieving family. Uh, and it was put in place out of a lot of complaints by families saying they felt that they were vulnerable and they felt like they were taken advantage of. 
In what ways were they taken advantage of? Well, a family that's gone through uh, a very sudden and unexpected death, they're, they're typically in shock. Um, for some families, it's very easy for them to be manipulated by funeral directors. And, and there was a lot of complaints about that, that funeral directors would manipulate them into making just astronomical purchases for you know funeral services and merchandise. For example, what would the services be? If a family just wanted just some form of simple burial or simple cremation, they would still be forced to buy a casket, which is now against the law. You can't force them to buy a casket for cremation. They would uh, be charged for all the services and whether or not they used them all. Like if it was just going to be a simple direct cremation, you would go into a mortuary back prior to 1980 and there would be these caskets that were made out of wood that you could use for cremation and you would need to pick out a casket to be cremated in or have your loved one cremated in. There would be a price on that casket and you would actually be paying for an entire funeral service and that casket as opposed to just a direct cremation. Within the mortician and funeral director trade associations, what was the response to the Federal Trade Commission rules on pricing and full disclosure? They fought them very vigorously for several years. There were numerous lawsuits filed in federal court preventing its enactment. They had a lot of injunctions placed, and then uh, ultimately all of those uh, litigations you know, proceeded through the courts to their end, and uh, the rule was enacted, and the funeral trade com- unions and trade associations needed to go ahead and uh, start complying with them at that point. I recall in our conversations uh, this past year, you mentioned that there were classes at trade association meetings right. about how to sell more product to the family. Right. Every every year, the state, California Funeral Directors Association, they have uh, their convention. It, it's different places throughout the state every year. And same on a national level with the National Funeral Directors Association. And that's where funeral directors can go and they can see what's new uh, in vehicles and merchandise that's available and so forth. And with that, you will also see some seminars being offered that will show you how to present this to a grieving family in order to get them to perhaps uh, spend more money in, in the funeral establishment. What are some of the presentations that they show? You know, I, I, I'm not a member of any of the trade associations, so I'd, I've never really been to any of their seminars other than to see them advertised. How come you're not a member? I, I've i been invited to be a member. At first, when I first opened my mortuary in, in 2000 here in Ukiah, I was uh, told I needed to be sponsored by another mortuary. I didn't inquire to any of the other mortuaries about sponsoring me and uh, just went ahead and just built my business And then approximately six or seven years ago, I did receive an invitation to join the California Funeral Directors Association. 
And in their package uh, to join, which would have cost me several hundred dollars a year to be a member, there were certain things that I'd have to agree to adhere to. George Linen, are you a member of the California Funeral Directors Association? No, Barry. I uh, was invited to join in 2007, I believe, by the association itself. They didn't require uh, a sponsoring member to sponsor me at that point. And uh, I looked into it and just decided that to be associated with, with their code of ethics just wasn't right for our, our business, for what we were attempting to accomplish ourselves. What was wrong with it? Well, it wasn't necessarily that there was anything specifically wrong with their code of ethics. It's just that they have these codes of ethics, and they read real well, but the industry doesn't really follow them as much. And why would I want to be associated with an industry trade association that, uh, you know, they don't uh, practice what they preach? Where are the practices that you refer to? My own personal opinion about the funeral industry is that it has been one that has been treated very suspect by the public. There has been a reputation that I've been told. People from the public have told me that, uh, you know, they just don't trust the funeral industry. They feel that the funeral industry is predatory on the public. They do whatever they can to, uh, had their own purses a little bit, and every time they come up with a new rule or a law, you know, the California Funeral Directors Association has their attorneys and their their people looking at, well, how do we reinterpret that to where we can get around that? You know, a lot of the mortuaries are being disciplined. The California Master Trust, their, their bank, basically, that holds their uh, pre-need funds have been sued by the state for misappropriation of those funds. The pre-need funds, you mean pay in advance while right. you're alive. Right. Okay. Well, we'll get to that in a little while. But before we go there, I want to say that in this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with George Linen in the studios of Radio Curious. He's the owner and operator of Empire Mortuary, located in Ukiah, California. This conversation is the third in our series on uh, funerals and burials in the United States. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. George Linen, how about uh, prepaid arrangements? They're getting more and more popular. The one thing I tell people is just generally the contract, the money's changing hands, and there's a contract between a mortuary and someone who's going to be dead at the time that it gets performed. And so you really need to make sure that you have someone there who is going to be able to make sure that your wishes are being carried out and that what you have paid for is being provided and that your survivors are not going to be billed for hundreds or thousands of more dollars because there was some misunderstanding or well, that actually wasn't included in this and so forth. So I always tell them to really be careful of that. Uh, but people here in a small town like where we live, they still want to do that. I make sure that they're not planning on moving or, or, or anything like that because they don't want to prepay here if they're going to be living in Arizona or Florida 10 years from now. 
Is the money deposited in a trust account and not used until the need is there? Right. We actually use an insurance company called Homesteaders. They've been around for 120 years. This is all that they do. They've been through the Depression and all the recessions. They've never had any problems. But they hold the person's funds. It gathers interest. It's the person's money up until the person passes away. And then the mortuary who provides the services, and it's usually the mortuary they contracted with, then they're paid. The mortuary is paid after the services are provided. How about if a person uh, dies in another state? That would adjust the costs. Well, the contract that the person has made, like say, for instance, a, a person comes into my mortuary and prepays for their own cremation, and they give us $1,000 just for lack of you know, a, a better numbers, just round numbers, and they've completely prepaid this. And then they're traveling to Disney World with their family, and they become ill and pass away down there. Well, the contract was with us. It doesn't make any sense to, for the family to go through the expense to have that person sent all the way back to California to be cremated when they can be cremated in Florida. The entire money amount of money that they prepaid and all of its interest is available to that family to use at a mortuary down in Florida for the cremation. Can you tell us what a person obtains for the money that they would pay in advance of death for mortuary services? The services are being purchased through, if they're using our mortuary, their, their services are purchased through our mortuary. But we're only going to get paid if we provide those services. The money is set aside into an account that's in that person's name. If they're traveling and they end up, like we just said, in Florida and they pass away there, they're going to ultimately purchase services at whatever the fees are there in Florida for the cremation. But that entire amount of money that they prepaid through us is going to be used towards those services. We don't have any control over that money at all unless we provide services. From your experience, how and when should a person shop for a mortuary? My pat answer on that is people should know as much as they can about funeral arrangements, cremation arrangements, what is necessary for them, the costs associated with them long before a person passes away. It can be just a phone call asking questions of whatever mortuary you want to use. You may want to call different mortuaries to see if there is a large difference in price or the types of services offered. You may want to uh, go into the mortuary, look at their facilities. You may want to fill out forms. You may want to look at merchandise if that's what you want to to accomplish that day, those kinds of things. By merchandise, you mean uh, coffins? Caskets, if you're going to have a funeral and burial. Uh, some families will want to look at urns to have ashes placed in following a cremation, those kinds of things. Some urns are labeled temporary only. Have you encountered that? I have encountered that. And again, this is an industry thing where they're they're trying to make you believe that a container that you purchase or that is provided is only 
temporary, which means you have to buy something else, and then they'll try to get you to buy something else from them. If uh, I do a cremation and I place the person's ashes in a simple plastic urn, which we provide as part of our cremation service, I could tell you it's a temporary container, but what is temporary? You know, temporary could be uh, 100 years, and 100 years and one day later, you, somebody could put it in a different container. So it, it, that's a real relative term. But I always tell people with that urn, it can either be temporary or permanent. Whatever they like. Right. And then the other thing that we do that a lot of mortuaries frown upon is we encourage people to look on the internet for merchandise because whatever I can sell them for $100, they can probably buy on the internet for $25 or $30. You mentioned cremation. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that after the body is cremated or burned, the bones are still pretty much intact. Right. It's, It's basically what the cremated remains are is what's left of the skeletal remains. They're not intact by any means. They're very brittle, very easy. You can process them by hand. Uh, Most mortuaries use uh, an electronic processor that basically spins the ashes into the powdery dust, but it's a very simple process at that point. And without doing that, they're pretty much in the skeletal form. Right. Well, George Linen, let's talk about home burials. By home burials, I mean being buried not in a pre-existing cemetery. Okay. And maybe we can begin by uh, the rules, as you understand them, as to where people may be buried. Well, as a licensed funeral director, I have to follow the Health and Safety Code of California, uh, which requires a burial to be uh, completed after the filing of a death certificate with the local Uh, registrar of births and deaths and the registrar issuing a burial permit for that person's remains. The health and safety code as it's written now provides that people can be buried in an existing cemetery or mausoleum that has been in either public or a private cemetery private cemeteries being licensed through the Cemetery and Funeral Bureau, public cemeteries, which is mostly what we have in Mendocino County, being part of the county uh, government. Beyond those two places? Well, there have been exceptions. There, There have been people who in California have gone through the licensing process with the state to be allowed to bury a person on private property, on a one-time basis. But that's being licensed to create a cemetery for a single individual. Right. The other way around, not using a uh, cemetery that is statutory would be if you were buried under some auspices of a church or synagogue or some other religious-based organization they are exempt from the rules of the Health and Safety Code. Examples of that would be uh, President and Mrs. Nixon, who are both buried on his birthplace. That property was actually deeded to his church in order for him and his wife to be buried there down in Southern California. 
Also, uh, President Reagan is buried on the grounds of his library down in Southern California under the same guidelines of the graves being under the auspices and owned by a church. So here in Mendocino County, there have been three known situations where people have been buried on the family property. Right, and those have all been set up and adjudicated through court. Where there's been a petition filed and a court order allowing it to be done. Correct. George Linen, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I'd like to ask a little bit about you. How long have you been in this profession? I began in this profession in 1978. Where? In Monterey, California. Prior to that, I was a deputy sheriff and then a deputy coroner in Monterey County. And the original Prop 13 came by by and reduced all of the property taxes back down to some level. And a lot of these counties had to let a lot of people go, and I was one of those people. But by then I'd met, through the coroner's office, I'd met a lot of the uh, people that own mortuaries in Monterey County. And one of them was so gracious and kind to offer me a, an apprenticeship position, which I took in that's how I got started. And what brought you to Mendocino County? I moved here in 1991. I was actually up in Humboldt County prior to this, and uh, I was working for a corporate mortuary, and I was fired. And it was the first time I'd ever been fired like that from from you know a mortuary, and. I spent about three or four months trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and then I uh, accepted a position down here in Ukiah, and I worked uh, here in Ukiah from 1991 to 1999. When you said you were fired from a corporate mortuary, I noticed a slight grin. Yes. What's that about? Corporate mortuaries, there's there's two or three major corporations uh, the one I was working for, they were going through a, a internal upheaval, I guess you would say, about management. Uh, there were certain sales numbers people were supposed to meet. The, the problems of meeting those sales numbers in California, they, they had almost everywhere because funerals in California are nothing like they are in Texas which is where the, the, comp, the corporation was based in. And they just couldn't understand how people wouldn't just open their checkbooks and, and spend all of this money. And so they just took it out on the employees. You know, you're not doing a very good job. You're not selling enough. And so we're going to let you go and give somebody else a chance. It sounds to me like over the years you've developed a personal philosophy as to how morticians should operate a business. I can speak to my own business. Tell us about your philosophy. I could never accept what I was being asked to do to families by these other mortuaries. I I moved from mortuary to mortuary to mortuary. I was always in the arrangement office telling them, this is the least expensive, you know, this is, you know, this is all that's necessary. And people, people appreciated that. And, except my boss. My boss never appreciated that. And so I just never fit with the other mortuaries. And my wife and I, in 1999, 
I made a decision to leave where I was and were we going to move and start over someplace else or were we going to stay here? She was a local girl. She was from Fort Bragg and we loved it here. Our kids loved it here. And so we decided to, to do what we did and we decided that operating our own mortuary, I didn't need to worry about anybody else's uh, way they wanted me to do things. You mentioned that you could explain all that was necessary. What is the lowest limit of what is necessary for a burial in California? You can actually have what's called an immediate burial or a direct burial where the body is placed into a container suitable for the burial. As a cardboard box? Not not really a cardboard box, but either some form of a alternative container that is made out of like press board wood that can be that has handles for transport uh, or a very inexpensive casket. And then the body can be placed in that, just taken to a cemetery and buried as to as opposed to a body being placed into a cardboard cremation box, taken to a crematory and cremated. And, uh, you know, so there's no reason you need to actually have a big extravagant funeral and those kinds of things just to be buried. Is there any reason why a person could not be buried in the ground in either a cardboard box or a shroud? Uh, as far as I'm concerned, there's no reason. Cemeteries may have regulations and rules. But those are private to that particular cemetery. Correct. Well, let's talk about you. Okay. Going back in your life, is there a eureka or an aha moment that influenced you or that you still live by? There have been a couple of, of uh, instances where I've worked for other mortuaries that uh, – I've found myself in really precarious situations with families because something was done to the family and they were victimized by the mortuary. And uh, that's always been something that has led me usually to to move on from that that mortuary. But it it ultimately led to me opening my own mortuary and, and running it the way we feel it should be run. In terms of the future, what would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? Well, I have my first grandson on the way, so that's that's exciting. And so right now, that's all Martha and I can think about. <laughs> um, we do plan, do have plans uh, on retiring probably over the next several years. I don't know if it'll be five years or 10 years or 15 years, uh, but we do have a plan for that. And uh, uh, Martha and I would like to go travel around the country and take a couple cruises and things like that and just we're looking forward to that when that when that time comes it's not here yet though and finally george linen is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners there there was a book that was written back in the 60s by jessica mitford called the american way of death and i've read it two or three times i actually met Ms. Mitford, when I was in Mortuary College in San Francisco, which is where she sat in on the Mortuary College and got quite a bit of the information for her book. And if there is propaganda that is out there, written propaganda that is out there that is pro-funeral director, pro-mortuary, and and why, why the mortuaries are so good, this is probably the same propaganda that is why the mortuaries are so bad. 
And that would probably be a, a really good book for people who are very interested into in this profession, some of its history, some of its high points, some of their low points, you know, could get a lot of information from. Well, George Linen, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Thank you very much, Barry. George Linen has been the owner of Empire Mortuary in Ukiah, California, since 2000. The book he recommends is The American Way of Death by Jessica Mitford. This program was recorded on September 21st, 2013. There are over 630 archive editions of Radio Curious on our website, radiocurious.org. They're free to listen, download, and share anytime, anywhere as my gift to you. We appreciate your comments, ideas, and suggestions and like to hear from you. Email is curious at radiocurious.org. And the phone is 707-462-6541. Christina Onestead is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.